morning. Good to see each one of you here today. I pray that everybody gets the long weekend. If you do not, I pray you have a blessed Monday as a lot of other people will get the long weekend. So um, it's good to have you here this morning. I thank you so much for being here and, and praying for us and praying for this community. And Christ is our hope. I, I could not have, again, I, think of a better song to come up and begin to preach than hearing Christ is our hope in life and death. If we have no Christ, we have no hope. And what I want to share with you this morning is just a few moments of review uh, from the book of Hebrews. And to get into the text, uh, again, I, I don't come up preparing a message and saying, you know what, this is going to be controversial. Sometimes it happens, and not that I'm, I'm, I bet you sitting there going, here we go again. No, it's not like that. But the funny thing, when it comes to churches and evangelicals, we call them denominations. Now, if you know anything about a math equation, a denominator is a what? A divider. And sometimes people divide over certain things that they read because of their interpretation. We always say, though, let Scripture interpret Scripture. If it's the Word of God, I mean, He's the final authority. You see, we talked about in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, which we don't know who exactly wrote it, but what we do know is He starts off with God has spoke. And I want to give, regardless of who's out there, who listens, or who hears what, the Word of God has been spoken. It is here. The Word is closed. Everything we need to know about God is right here. As I said before, if you're looking for a special revelation, a special revelation, if it agrees with Scripture, it is unnecessary. If it doesn't, it's unbiblical. Okay? So God has spoken. He has given us His Word. And what He will say to Hebrews is He is writing to this uh, Jewish group here, Evidently, they're, they're, they're beginning to drift into, back into Judaism or whatever it may be. We call the word apostasy in some sorts, where they begin to fall away. And, and he tells them in chapter 1, listen. Listen to what God has said, that everything that he promised, first through his prophets, okay? The prophet is the man who speaks for God, who speaks to men. The priest is the man who speaks for men to God, right? And we talked about that Christ is superior than prophets. No matter how much you think your prophets are, and they were great men, they are still not Christ. They were great, but Christ is greater. Then he says, Christ, in chapter 1, is superior to the angels. And we spoke about this, and therefore we got into a little bit about how it can get a little, you know, controversial because people have their own view of angels. But what we do know is angels were created by God for God in His glory. And He uses them. Sometimes they'll take human form. We talked about that at Sodom and Gomorrah. And we talked about they're beautiful created beings. However, when human beings die, they do not become angels. That is unbiblical. You do not gain your wings when you die. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you gain presence into Christ. Okay? But Christ is superior to the angels. 
They were created by God to serve Him for His glory, to serve and help and aid man. But Christ is greater than they. And see, Paul will address this also because there was a time during the first century that there was angel worship. I cannot help but myself go back to Romans chapter 1 when he even talks about mankind. For they chose to worship creation more than creator. And there's the problem. That we worship the creator, not creation. And he tells us the superiority of Christ. And remember what I said when he is speaking to the Jewish people. He's using language that they understand, the Old Testament. He will quote what we call the hymn book. And I said this last week, not H-Y-M-N, but H-I-M. He quotes the Psalms in Deuteronomy. What a better way to talk to people in language that they know than use language that they know. Talk to them in language they understand. Your prophet said, your prophet said, your prophet said that Christ is superior to all things. And then in chapter 2, he'll put a parenthetical statement in, in verses 1 through 4, that I want us to take heed to. And I don't have it on screen today, we're having some technical difficulties. But if you would, please stand with me as we read the Word of God. If you do not have the Bible, you can read it in your bulletin. But I want you to look what the writer says in chapter 2. Now listen. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not subject the angels to the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified, some were saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while... Lower than angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you in this word, God, may we take heed that we see and we read and we understand that your word has spoken that there is no other name greater than Christ. Lord, we pray you convict hearts and souls. Lord, we pray that you use us for your glory. And regardless of where we are in our walk today, Lord, regardless of whether how we feel, how we don't feel, Lord, no matter where we've been or where we're going to, that God, you would be glorified through us some way, shape, form, or fashion. That we continually give praise to your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now I'm going to break this down for you because like I said, if you look at the first four verses of, of Hebrews chapter 2, he is adding a parenthesis. He is interrupting the conversation about Christ's superiority to make a point to you. And look what he says. For this reason. Okay. Well, why? Why should we listen? For this very reason, we must pay close attention 
that we have heard that we do not drift away from it. There are five warnings given in the book of Hebrews. This will be the first. Warning against drifting away. And what you see is say, play close attention because I want you to understand in context what is happening here. You have heard me say many times in the Old Testament that obedience equals blessings, disobedience equals cursings. The same law that was given to man by God through Moses, through the angels, has consequences to the breaking of the law. Okay? Disobedience has consequences. How great a consequence is that when you don't listen to the words of Christ who is greater than that? You see what I'm saying? Christ is greater than the prophets. He is greater than the angels. Heed the words that Christ said, lest we fall away. Pay attention. One of the things I uh, used to do when I was in school was I had an arrogance among myself that I thought I could be funny and everybody liked it. And I never will forget that the, one of the biggest problems that I had in school was paying attention. Used to send my mom letters all the time. I guarantee you that all of us struggle with that some way, shape, form, or fashion. Actually, studies would say that most people, when you ask them a question or talk to them, they're not looking or listening to what you are saying. They're trying to formulate a response to you. And they're not really paying attention. I never will forget, as I was in Miss Sterling's class years ago, she was dividing us up in groups. And she started this, 30 of us in the class, and she'd go, number one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And she's going through each person, and each group would get with ones, each group would get with twos, each group, anyway. She said, Chad, you're number one. I said, don't you ever forget it. <laughs> well, I got a trip up and out, and uh, she said, you could be something if you'd just keep your mouth shut. You always want to say something. You're never paying attention. You always want to be funny. You see, a lot of times, we don't want to pay attention. We don't want to hear what is being said. He says, for this reason, since Christ is superior to all things, he has weight. Why does he have weight? Because he is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the giver. He has always been and will always be. Christ is the single authority. And he says, for this reason... He says that you do not drift away. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to what is said. I want you to understand that this is a present imperative. It means to beware. It means to warn. It means to adhere to. This is strong language. Let me explain to you why. Jesus said, using the same Greek word, beware of false prophets. Beware of those men who practice righteousness in front of other men. It holds the same weight. What Christ is saying, it is hypocrisy. So pay attention to what we hear. Be warned that what you hear is from God. That is what he's saying in Hebrews. Pay attention to what you have heard, that you do not drift away. What have you heard? You know, I've always often heard the analogy that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. That we've listened twice as much as we speak. And you know there's people in the world, if they tied their hands and lips together, they'd beat themselves to death. Because they love to speak. But we're to listen to what has been said. I want to tell you what Scripture says. James 1.21 Being a hearer of the word. 
Just because you hear doesn't mean you do. Hear in this context implies active obedience. It's one thing to hear the word. It's one thing to do the word. James 1, 21 says, or 1, beginning in verse 21 says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not just hearers who deceive themselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this will be the blessed one in what he does. What he is saying, it's one thing to hear what is being proclaimed. It's another thing to not do what has been proclaimed. If you hear it and not do it, then you're really not hearing it because you're wanting to do things your own way. Now, when you were all children, I'm sure your mom and dad or whoever was the authority in your life told you to do something. And you would hear them say, I know you heard me. I know you did. If we do not do what we have heard, then we are not obeying. Agree? So he's making it very clear that we're not to be just hearers, but doers. That is what he's saying in context. That we are to be doers of the word. The thing about doing the word shows that we must be united by faith. Those that are in faith of Christ not only hear the word, but do the word. Hebrews 4 tells us this. I can't wait to get to this chapter. Therefore we must fear it. While the promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also did. But the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For who have believed enter that rest, just as he said? Listen to me. Many of our brothers and sisters will say this passage shows that you can lose your salvation. I want you to hear me very clearly. If you don't hear another word I say is this. If you could lose your salvation, I can promise you you would. Because when you rely on yourself... You are not relying on the Holy Spirit. If it's up to me, I will lose it. But let me tell you something that's very clear. Number one, the only thing, as we often say, that I contributed to my salvation was my sin. And so did you. That's the only thing that's been contributed to our salvation. It is a work of Christ. It is the work of Christ that when you place your faith and trust in Him, you repent of your sin. He saves you. His Holy Spirit will sustain you from now till you leave this earth. But evidence of that saving and sustenation, or sustenance if you will, is the act of a life pleasing and obeying God. There's no other way around it. Now, Again, people will say, well, you know, drifting away, what about those that drift? I'm going to tell you about drifting. And it's funny that when you study this passage, you'll see that there are a lot of men and a lot of scholars who are better than I, they can, you know, they can divide a frog hair, if you will, 
a lot better than I can, have disagreements on this. But I'm going to tell you what I really believe. I believe that there's those individuals who walk this earth that act or may want to say they act like Christians, practicing their righteousness before men, that may say they had an experience, again, practicing their righteousness before men, but in their hearts they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They have heard the word. They understand it, but they do not do it. Let me tell you something. I want to make this perfectly clear too. We've often heard that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think that the broad path is not paved with just those who blatantly, arrogantly, headlong rush into hell going, here we go, hallelujah, but those who drift away by neglecting the very word of God. Now listen to me. You know, it's very funny that when we even look in our own lives that we love to judge people by how they do and how they act. Please understand what he is saying, drifting. Yeah, I'm stuck on these verses. The word drift means in context, slowly and subtly. It is the only time that this is used in the New Testament. This Greek word is used once in the New Testament, drifting. Let me tell you what I mean by that in the statement that I made. Let me use the analogy of the frog in the water. You've always heard it that you put a frog in cold water and you slowly heat it up until all of a sudden that water gets too hot, cold or hot for him and he'll kill himself. But he don't notice because it's a gradual change in his body until he dies. That's what neglect is. That's what it means to drift away. That you don't heed the word, you neglect the word and you slowly drift like a leaf in the water in a river that you never pay attention to. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I had a friend of mine who asked me to go rafting, if you will, down the Saluda River. Now, I had never been down the Saluda River. He had. But we decided to get in this canoe at the bridge. And as we got into this canoe and we were placed into the water, we began to just enjoy it. We kicked back and we just floating. And all of a sudden, about 100 yards, I see a displacement in the horizon. It was a waterfall. Wasn't a big one. It was about two or three feet, you know. And I noticed the landscape had changed. I said, hey, man, uh, there's a waterfall ahead. <laughs> he goes, this is bad. So he said, the best thing we can, he said, I forgot about it, Chad, I promise, I'm so sorry, I forgot. We had our lunch, we had our rods, we had our phones, we had everything. I had on my Bermuda, Bermuda shirt, and we going, you know, and I'm going, this is bad. He says, well, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to hit it head on, and then we'll do this. And this man, he wasn't no boater no more than I was. <laughs> but let me tell you what happened. It snuck up on us because we got content in the situation that we were in and didn't pay attention, and it's too late, and it snuck up on us. And let me tell you what happened. We went under that little waterfall, very little waterfall. We capsized the boat. I'm hung in a whirl current, but I had a life vest on. I'm just doing this. <laughs> and he's hanging on to the boat going, we lost it, Chad, we lost it. And so he's holding on to that canoe. We lost our lunch. It went down the river. Our rods, phone, I mean, it was bad. So my wife and them are down the river and my kids and they're waiting on us because he lived on the river. We get down there 
and they see us soaking wet, canoe toiled, here we come staggering. What happened? Waterfall. That that was there that he had forgot about snuck up on us, and the consequences were horrible. Brothers and sisters, that's what neglecting the Word of God does. And what he is telling them is this. You don't have to be blatantly against it. You can neglect it. And it'll done pass by you like a stranger in the wind. The dangers of neglecting Scripture. You see, I often think that, like I said, we love to compare people. So what I want to do by saying that is to give you four illustrations of how we neglect Scripture or how to neglect Scripture and walk away or drift away. I am saying here that, again, I don't believe that you lose your salvation, but that people that don't hear, they don't get it. Going back to Jesus and his disciples, when he tells Peter, do you want to leave too? Those that are real will remain real. But those that drift were never real to begin with. So I'm going to show you and prove a point. How people neglect the Word of God. Number one, time. Time. Second Corinthians tells us, For he says, At a favorable time I listened to you, and on a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I can tell you right now, my 20 years of ministry, I've settled by the side of a lot of people that have died, young and old. I've told you this, and I'll tell you this again. I've never heard one person say, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. And let me tell you the secret, or not a secret, but a little secret to this, a story that not everybody I sit beside at their last breath knew Christ. And I can tell you some star stories that make your... Spine shiver, but I want to tell you this. We cannot live our life as though we have tomorrow. James says very clearly in James chapter 4, what is your life? It is a vapor. It's here a moment and it's gone. Tiffany and I were coming home last night from, uh, and, and Tyler and the family from meeting some people, and we were coming home, and I was sitting there talking about the things that I remember as a child. And we were telling funny stories about some things that I had done as a kid that got me in a lot of trouble. Then I was talking about, I remember laying in bed, looking at the radio, trying to go to sleep, how I was in sixth grade and how much I hated school. And I thought to myself, I got six more years of this garbage. And here it is, I've been out of high school 33 years. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I can tell you, this first 50 one, 52 years have gone by like a bullet. What's going to happen next? But yet we live our lives in a point where we think we have tomorrow. I can promise you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't have time. Time should be considered as this. That knowing this, when I wake up in the day and I say my prayers and I thank God for what I've done, that I say, God, I could, this could be the day. Do you think people wake up? And say, well, the day's day, I'm going to die. They don't. We read the story of some friends that, uh, of ours that had some friends that were going down the road on I-26. And just so happened, a truck carrying a piece of metal, the piece of metal broke, dropped out of the truck, bounced out, hit the grill of their car, caused them to pole vault and get killed, killed all four people in the car and the man right beside them. You say, what's the odds of that happening? It's time, your time to go, you're going. Every one of us have a date with death. 
And we don't know when that's going to be. And I cannot tell you today when that day will be, but I can tell you how you will lead it. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whether it be today or whether it be in 15 years, know that he will, he enough who saved your life will be enough to accompany you into the next. I believe that with all my heart. If I did not have that hope, I'm wasting my time to you. And that's why I say, but understand this, as he is talking to them, there must be an urgency to share others that they don't have that time either. I've heard people say, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. I may be sitting beside your grave tomorrow. Or you may be sitting beside mine. And that's a mathematical fact. You have to decide in this time to understand, if I leave this world, where will I be? You're either going to be in the presence of Christ or you're going to be in hell. There is no in-between that you neglect so great of salvation. If the condemnation was so bad that it was taught by the prophets and by the angels, let me tell you something, the punishment is so great from him who has authority over them. Preachers don't preach on the wrath of God anymore. It hurts feelings. It's offensive. People don't like to be told that they're sinners. People don't like to be held accountable. People don't like to be confronted with the Word of God. What happens when all of us are faced with authority? We don't like it. But the Bible is very clear there is only one authority that is greater than all things, and his name is Jesus Christ. And one day he's coming back. He came to this earth as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. And I can promise you, the Bible tells me that he will separate the sheep from the goats. And those who thought they had all that time will be falling in the same category as those other goats. Depart from me, I never knew you. Time is of the essence. Not only are we to guard time in our lives and understand that the message of the gospel is today and today alone, we need to understand if we have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there must be an urgency to go somewhere and tell somebody else about the hope that we have. You know, as my, I won't call his name because of things, but as my son spoke this morning on where they're going, they're going to a different place where it's not evangelical at all. And as I walk out in these places that, in, in our own home, and I see in the own place that I live that boast so many great seminaries and so many great things that they are teetering and falling on the edge themselves, and we are becoming just like those unreached because nobody will proclaim the word and nobody thinks that they... Or a, how would I say this, a product of time. Somebody else will go. Somebody else will share. Let me tell you something, brothers, sisters, listen to me. Just like that Matthew West song. He said, God, I used to cry. Why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. We got to do something. Time is of the essence. If you have Christ and Christ has you, then you've got to be one who proclaims the word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. This is not popular, but I want you to understand this. I beg anybody here or anybody else to show me in the Bible where we can claim to be Christians and live contradictory to the word of God. Show me. It is not in Scripture. And what it means by being obedient and hearing the word of God means being a doer of the word of God. And time is of the essence. Number two, a way we, another way that we neglect and drift away. We have inoculation 
instead of salvation. We have inoculation instead of salvation. And this is why I believe this text speaks to this. You see, there's a lot of people been inoculated with just enough Jesus to go straight to hell. Now, what do you believe being by that, Chad? Even Nicodemus, who knew the word, couldn't see the trees for the forest. He knew the law. He heard the law, but yet did not have a grasping of the law. He did not have a grasping of the hope that was promised by his prophets that Jesus Christ would fulfill it. He didn't understand. You see, there's a lot of people that come into church and say they're Christians for several reasons. They were raised in church. Grandmother brought them to church. They were baptized. They said a prayer. They did all these things. They give. They supported missions. They supported the local, the local whatever church or whatever it may be. But what they were doing was contributing to an outside change, if you will, that they thought they had instead of an inside change. They were superficial. What can God do for me? They don't give because they are Christ. They give to maybe get to Christ. I will not have you turn there, but I want to read to you a passage in Judges chapter 17. One of the most powerful passages written to show you a humanistic approach to salvation that shows you that God was not created for our glory, but we were created for His. And we're not trying to bargain with Him. Listen to what he says. Now there was a man of the hill of the country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. And I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly consecrate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and to cast a metal image, so now I will return them to you. You hear that? Oh, it gets better. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a carved image and cast a metal image. And they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and house idols and consecrated one of his sons so that he might become his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, from the family of Judah, who was a Levite and was staying there. The man left the city, Bethlehem in Judah, to stay wherever he would, find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to stay wherever I may find a place. Micah said to him, stay with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and supply you clothing and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Michael said, now listen clearly, now I know the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Let me tell you the moral of this story. Here was a man that wanted a priest, and here was a man that wanted to be priest, and one of them changed idolatry for the other. Because he said, the Lord will do me good. 
And that's what happens with humanistic theology. That we do what we do to get a blessing from God. That's inoculation. That the very purpose of our existence is for our own happiness. But if I serve God enough that he will bless me, he will prosper me, he will give all the things that I want, and that way I am supplied, God is happy, and I'm happy, thus says the Lord. That is heresy. It's heresy. The very purpose for your existence is for the glory of God. And here's a man that wanted a priest and a man that wanted to be priest, and he sold himself out for ten pieces of silver and a garment. Who did he think he was that he had the authority to consecrate a priest? He didn't have that authority. God has that authority. And he has given us the great high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. And what he is saying here, and you say, well, Chad, how does that fit in today? Because there again, this man did religious things to bring him some happiness for what he wanted. And that is the same exact thing that people are doing today. They're doing things religiously for their own happiness and not for the glory of God. If you live to bring yourself glory, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's non-negotiable. If you live for your own glory... That's what lost people do. But you have been transformed. Take heed of what has been said. You have been changed by God, by Him, for Him, for His glory. There is no such thing as inoculation. Well, let me tell you another word we like to use, carnal Christian. Now, there's sometimes people disagree with me, and that's Okay. But I'm going to tell you this, and please, you've heard me say it many times. If you live like hell and have no conviction of it, you will make it there. But it's not only rebellious living. It's neglectful living. Oh, it's all right. Somebody else will go. Somebody else will serve. Somebody else will share. Somebody else will do. Somebody else would do this or do that. God created you. He created me. And I can promise you that you can pull up the internet, you can read books, you can find as many false prophets as you want will talk about your happiness. You will always find somewhere or someplace that people will be willing to share with you what you want to hear. But he says, you take heed to what has been said. The words spoken by Christ, who is superior to all things. Number three, an evidence of a neglectful life that is drifting away. It's a troubleless life. I want to talk about this for a few minutes because you know there's always those people who don't seem to have any trouble. That they could go down the road and hit a tree and end up getting seven cars and $50,000 out of it and not have a scratch on their nose. They could fall in a bucket of peanuts and come out with $10 million. People don't have trouble. Let me tell you the danger about this. When people have no trouble, they content in their troubleless life. And they forget 
that Jesus Christ said in John 16, I believe verse 33, that in this life you will have trouble. If you are a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to have trouble. And one of the things that I continually say, and I face anything, I will take my shoes and stand on. And yes, I beat this in the ground. I beat it in the ground and I'll continue to beat it in the ground. This health, wealth, and prosperity has got to stop. I can't stand for somebody to hear, you know, again, go to another country and say, man, if you accept Jesus, you're going to be rich now. Did they lie to him? What happened? But we did the same thing here. And people have that mentality. If you're poor, it's on your own making. You're not serving God. If you're rich, you're materialistic. We get content in troubleless lives. And as believers, a lot of times, we get mad at those who have no trouble. Pray for them. You say, well, Chad, that's good that people have no trouble. Well, I can tell you this. Trouble might not be through wealth. It might not be through your job. It might not be physical. But I'm going to tell you what. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and people don't know it, you're going to face trouble because somebody's going to have a problem with you. A troubleless life is an easy way to drift away. To say, you know what? God's given me everything I have. I have need of nothing. And I float away just like to that waterfall until it's too late. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Troubleless life don't mean perfect, people. I want to tell you something. I want to say this, not trying to run a rabbit trail, but I want you to listen to me. That all the people you might think have perfect lives don't. You never know what happens inside somebody's home. You don't know what happens in mine. And I want to promise you, see, that's the nature that we live in. That's the world that we live in. We try to judge our, 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 our gaining, our losing based on other people. Which brings me to my fourth point. A neglectful drifting life is one that has an extreme desire for the worldly things and not heavenly things. That has a worldly desire for, has an extreme desire for worldly things and not heavenly things. Now, this gets good with me. I guarantee you we've all come to the place in time where we wish we had something a little bit better than what we had. You know what I'm talking about. I remember my daddy used to complain about this little blue gremlin he had. And I don't know if y'all remember gremlins. I'd like to have that gremlin now, but anyway, you, 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 it was a gremlin. It wasn't the prettiest thing. But it got us from point A to point B, and it had a lot of trouble with it. But see, the very interesting thing about this is this. And I'm not saying my dad did this, but I was just talking about that gremlin. What was funny is so many times in our lives we complain about what God has given us instead of being thankful for it. You know, I, uh, I went to work this last winter. And as we were going up the road to the back road where I go and enter my plant, 
it must have been 15 degrees. And it was last year at that point, we didn't get but one snow, I don't believe, or ice, and it was bad for about two days. It wasn't really bad, but it was bad enough because where those roads were, it was in the shade, and it was just a thing of ice. And ahead of me was a man on a moped. He was on this moped, driving it on this ice road, and he wrecked about 60 yards in front of me. So we all stopped and made sure he was okay, and he said, I'm fine, and he went on into work. Well, people began to make fun of this man on a moped. Why would you drive something like that to work? And come to find out, that's all he had. But let me tell you something about him. There's many people who didn't have a car, they wouldn't get out of the bed to go to work. But he had a desire to get there the best way he can. Now, I don't know where he stood with Christ, but that same mentality often is on us. Man, if I just had that or might just had that instead of being thankful for what I have. That kills me. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have been thankful for everything that I've, I, I, I've been given. I didn't cut cartwheels and say, thank you, God, I got cancer. There's been times when I've lost things that I didn't, I wasn't, <laughs> but let me tell you something. What I have realized in my walk, and I pray that you do too, that as long as God gives you what you need, and number one, number two, you have a clear understanding that your home here is temporary, then you have a greater appreciation for the salvation that God has given you. You see, worldly things is not going to get you into heaven. And if you have a desire for worldly things, then is your heart on heavenly things. The danger of worldly desires. You see, I want to tell you this and, and listen. You see, when the rich man was before Christ, and he asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life, Christ said to keep the commandments. He said, these things I've done, which that's a misguided statement. But it was the next thing that Jesus said in response. He said, well, then sell everything you have and follow me. Well, the Bible tells us in this story that the man became what? Sad. Because he was a man of extreme wealth. Listen to me clearly. A man that is not worth, is worth giving up his life and sacrificing for Christ is not worthy of Christ. It's not about what you have that makes you what you are. It's about who has you. And you know what? I don't know what it's going to look like when I get to heaven. The Bible tells me that I'll have a new body one day. That's enough to make me happy. <laughs> but it's not about happiness, it's about joy. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, listen. Christ is enough. And I don't know what all I'll have. I don't know what's going to be before me. But the Bible tells me that the brightness of the presence of God is so bright, I don't need a sun. I don't need the sun. And the Bible tells me continuous worship and continuous praise for eternity. Let me tell you something. I look forward to that day. Do you? Jesus said, lay not your treasures here on earth when moth and rust can destroy. But set your treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust can destroy. Set your hope in things 
on that that's eternal and that that's not temporary. And look what he says. For if the word, going back to the verse, verse 2, that we don't drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, then every transgression and every disobedience received a just penalty. How will we neglect a great salvation? That's rhetorical. We won't. Here's the deal. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Right here is the greatest book that's ever been written. It's the Word of God. Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed. This is enough. And this Word right here tells me everything I need to know and everything that I want to know and everything that I desire to know. And what it tells me is that first and foremost that I was born with a God-sized hole that only He could fill. And it tells me because me, not only am I born into sin because of the sin of Adam and Eve, I'm a willful sinner. I don't run to God in my sin. I run from Him. But the Bible tells me that yet God in His great mercy sent His Son Jesus Christ to pay the wrath that was due me. And He poured it upon His Son. And the wrath that was poured upon His Son was satisfied. And that same satisfaction, that same cleanliness, that same price that was paid is applicable to you if you believe and you live and you repent. Every single person here, I don't know when you're going to leave this earth, but you can know how you leave it. And I will tell you this, take heed to the Word of God. Christ did not lie. What he is telling every one of us is everything that Christ spoke is authoritative. The Bible says in John, in the beginning was the word. The word there is not rhema, it's logos. It is Greek for power. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And again, please listen. That what he is sharing with these people... I know, yeah, I'm stuck on two verses. We'll pick up the next three next week. But listen to me. There is an importance that everybody grasp that we listen and heed that we do not drift away. That we hold to the words of Christ. Colossians 3, 16. For the words of Christ. Listen. Let the words of Christ richly dwell within you. Christ is the authority. He is the final word. He is perfect. He is blameless. He is sinless. Take heed to what he says, lest we don't boldly go, but yet unawares, we neglectfully drift away. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence today. Lord, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. God, we thank you so much for going to Calvary and paying a debt you did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And God, I don't know anybody's heart here, just like they don't know mine. But Lord, what is very clear is today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that our lives manifest what we are. That people see that we are real. And see that we are not drifting, but we are sailing. Sailing takes wind and effort. 
drifting you just do haplessly and just fall away. But God, whether we're sailing into trouble or sailing away from it, God, we're sailing. Because we're sailing, we're holding to the unswervingly faith that we possess and holding to the word that is yours and yours alone. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not have a relationship with you, that you convict their heart. Lord, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next breath. And God, it's not doing religious things that's going to save us. It's not how many times we pray. God, I've been on an airplane. I've seen a lot of people pray. God, it's not about what we say. God, it's not by not having any troubles or having a bunch of it. God, it's not about, you know, desiring everything in the world. And if you're really real, you'll bless us with all kind of riches. It's not about that. It is the Word of God, your Son, Jesus Christ, alone. There's no other name by which men will be saved. It's not what we have. It's but what we are through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray today that, Lord, you'd convict hearts. God, I pray today for those who are professing believers that you renew them. Lord, I can't make people get busy. But Lord, what I can is, is proclaim and exhort and urge people to listen to your word. That whether it be your neighbor, whether it be your best friend, whether it be a family member, whether it be a co-worker, or whether it be somebody on the other side of the world, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. God, as we heard this morning of the country that my son's going to that is .06, or .6, I'm sorry, percent reached. .6. Lord, there are still places that we need to go. And God, there's places here that we need to go. Lord, there may be times we get beat up and we get tired. But God, I pray that everyone that claims to be a believer leave this world a little bit tired. Because, Lord, we're going to rest in eternity with you. Your name is above every name. We love you and praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. please stand and worship with us.